2: Welcome to a very special Vintage Video Patreon pick, where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre-80s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
1: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
2: And today, Carlos Moda has asked us to review The Blob. Released September 10th, 1958, it was written by Theodore Simonson and Kay Lineker, from an original idea by Irvine H. Milgate, Directed by Irvin S. Yeworth Jr., with supposed uncredited work from Russell S. Doughton Jr., and released by Paramount Pictures. Star Jelly, or Astral Jelly, is the name given to a suspected gelatinous fungus that grows on rotting wood, but was thought for centuries to be a deposit left behind by meteor showers.
3: Oh, don't use the word deposit like that.
2: Deposited.
3: (laughs) Space jizz. (laughs)
2: In 1950, Philadelphia police encountered a particularly large sample six feet wide and domed in shape. When they tried to collect it, the material dissolved away to nothing. Reports of this incident would go on to inspire producer Jack Harris to commission a script originally titled The Molten Meteor. The monster in the script is referred to as The Mass, but filmmakers almost went to market with a new title, The Glob. Turns out cartoonist Walt Kelly had a children's book called The Glob, so they incorrectly assumed that the name was off-limits and switched to The Blob.
3: I think I like The Blob better.
2: I think so, too, but I don't know if that's just because I grew up with it.
3: Well, no, it's because B-words are inherently funny.
2: That was part of it, because Harris wanted comedians of the time to make jokes about how corny the movie sounded.
3: Yeah, but I mean, like, if you just want to look for funny words, you know, just say, like, buick yeah it's just funny yeah
2: but glob to me sounds specifically like a food like glob seems like there's two things that come in globs sour cream and paint those are the only two things and i eat both of those for some reason
3: <laughs> only one is lead paint it's
2: right so sweet or lead sour cream
3: <laughs> it's so sweet <laughs> what <laughs>
2: The film was produced in and around Valley Forge, Pennsylvania by Valley Forge Studios, a small-scale producer and distributor of mostly faith-based films. Can you guys guess what other films we've covered that also came from the owner-operators of Valley Forge Studios?
3: Image of the Beast?
2: Image of the Beast! That's the uncredited director here, was also the director of Image of the Beast, who appears in the film.
0: 200 million horses?
2: There were that many horses in China in the late 70s, Kathy. Producer Harris convinced them that while this film does not delve into any religious message, its profitability would support the release of many more films with which to spread their Christian values. Uh, profitability? Selling Ah. out
3: for God.
2: (laughs) Exactly. There you go, though. Profit Profit equals profit. Harris discovered Steve McQueen, or Stephen, as he is credited here for the last time, on stage filling in for Ben Gazzara in A Hat Full of Rain on Broadway. This would be the first starring role for McQueen, playing a character 10 years his junior. He unfortunately accepted a $3,000 paycheck over a 10% share of the film's profits. As soon as Paramount caught the trailer, they paid $300,000 for distribution rights, more than doubling the $110,000 budget, but still far short of its $4 million box office take. $4 million? $4 million, which would have meant $400,000 for Mr. Steve McQueen. Paramount intended to use the film as a B-picture on a double bill under I Married a Monster from Outer Space, but when audiences were more interested in the bottom-billed picture, they swapped the titles and devoted more money to marketing the film. A few years later, Harris was already in a position to buy the rights back from Paramount and orchestrated several profitable re-releases. Burt Bacharach's theme song was grafted onto the film against director Yeworth's will, but the song actually charted, rising to number 33 on the Billboard chart.
3: I I am well aware of that song because even before watching this film, I would just sing Sing it to myself all the time. time. In
2: 1972, a direct sequel was released called Beware the Blob, and we'll discuss the plot of that after this film.
3: So presumably it was titled Beware the Blob because of the song. Correct, yes.
2: In 1978's Grease adaptation, the kids are seen watching the Blob trailer at a drive-in. In 1988, a remake was released directed by Chuck Russell, with a script from Russell and Frank Darabont, and we'll cover the changes in that version also. Jack Harris has said he was approached more than once to adapt The Blob into a TV series, but couldn't wrap his head around the premise as a serial, suggesting that maybe The Blob becomes the good guy and Blob's around solving crimes or something. What? (laughs) It's just like, I don't get it. I don't know how that's a show. In 2009, a new remake was announced, with Rob Zombie attached as director, but he was later replaced with Simon West. Updates on that remake have gone silent since the death of executive producer Jack Harris in 2017.
3: I actually really want to see the Rob Zombie version of The Blob.
2: I'd be interested in seeing Yeah, it. yeah. I feel
3: like a darker version of this would be really interesting. Well, I mean, you've seen
2: the 88 version, though.
3: Yeah, I, I'm just saying that it's... Yeah, and and that does take it more into a modern horror movie. Yes, yeah. But what I'm saying is, like... I don't know. The Rob Zombie treatment is even different than modern horror. Yeah, cranking it up to eleven
2: and being ridiculous with the blood and everything. Yeah,
3: so like, but it's a com because it's a combination of like gory horror and camp. And it's I I just think it's an interesting. thing I I mean,
2: there I can't think of a director whose version of the Blob I wouldn't want to (laughs) see. It's just it's just one of those things that I would love to see grafted onto anybody's yeah abilities. Since 2000, the film is celebrated with an annual blob fest in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, with screenings at the Colonial Theater and tours of the Downingtown Diner and its basement, which apparently looks largely the same as in the film. That was the actual basement of the diner they oh, were in. Oh, okay. The Blob itself was a mixture of red dye and silicon, shipped to the set in a five-gallon bucket from Union Carbide. Because of the chemicals used, it has never hardened, and makes occasional appearances at Blobfest where attendees have been invited in the past to mix the blob with a stick because the layers occasionally separate mm.
3: that's kind of crazy that it's because it's pretty old but it's never yeah. hardened? it's just
2: buckets of chemicals that don't give off fumes so if it's a if it's a stable concoction then it's not constantly off-gassing
3: yeah i'm just i'm just really curious because i mean like even just regular silicone like hardens over time so
2: yeah who knows we open with Burt Bacharach's blob theme performed by a group called the five blobs which were actually all just one guy bernie knee recording over himself on several tracks oh that's clever yeah did he get five (laughs) pages i would hope so
3: well it's the same amount of money whether he gets it in one Uh, check or five yeah
2: they just split the money (laughs) across five checks Beware of the blob! It creeps and
0: leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the
2: door, and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch. Be careful of the blob! Beware of the blob! Bacherak wrote the piece with Mac David, brother of Bacherak's regular collaborator Hal David. The first screen credit is for one Stephen McQueen, an early film for him. I think this is only his second film and his first in the lead. Behind the names, a small red illustrated shape grows in size until it extends beyond the edges of the frame. We cut to Steve McQueen as Steve Andrews, kissing his date, Jane Martin. Everyone in this film has two first names. Steve Andrews, Jane Martin, later we'll meet uh, Detective Jim Burt. It's like, (laughs) Burt is not a last name, guys. Sorry, it's not.
3: I also feel like you you have to call him Stephen in the film because it's like early on and every time they tried to use a different name they're like i think he's talking to you (laughs)
2: tony danza syndrome where he's just tony and everything (laughs) he points out a shooting star on the horizon and claims that a better view of the stars is the reason he comes to this make out point she takes issue with his repeatedly calling her Janie girl
0: my name is jane just jane
2: he assures her he's never brought another girl here before and she believes him Suddenly, a shooting star on the horizon glows bright orange on its way down and crashes audibly near the couple.
0: Boy, that was close! Hey, come on, I want to see if I can find it.
2: Because you only have what twelve hours, and then it stops glowing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's like, it's like after sunrise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I also like. Sure. First, she's like kind of like offended. Like, it's like, oh, he's taking me to the make out point because he just wants to make out. Because
2: this is their first date.
1: Yeah but then when she says let's go look for that meteor she's like oh <laughs> like i thought we were gonna <laughs> yeah. do more make it out yeah
2: <laughs> you got me all hot and bothered up here we cut to a small shack on the edge of town and an old man steps out the door drawn to the sound of the explosion he brings a lantern with him to the woods and finds a smoldering crater with a small rock at the bottom he does what any self-respecting person would do and pokes the rock with a stick and the outer shell breaks away in clumps to reveal a gooey nougat center He jabs the shiny space glob with the same stick and marvels at the goo's viscosity. But when he turns the stick in his hand to escape the slime's dripping tendrils, it slides up the stick to encase the man's entire hand. Right away, the man is in pain and tries to shake off the slime and even scrape it off with the stick, but it's no use. He runs screaming to the nearest road and happens to cross paths with Steve and Jane, still searching for the meteorite. The man begs Steve for a ride to the nearest doctor.
0: Boy, I hope the doc is in. And Ms. Porter, Dr. to Hallen. I'm leaving now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is where I realize, okay, there's some comedy elements to this, too. As he rushes to the doctor's office, he honks at a car full of teens who take personal offense at his impatience. Steve manages to get to Dr. Hallen's office before he's completely left. Oh,
1: I also... By honking at these guys, he also inadvertently challenges them to a race, which apparently he wins.
2: Yeah, he didn't even know that he was racing them. He just wanted to get around them. They bring the man in and unveil the blobbed hand, and the transparent goo is now reddened, presumably from dissolving the hand with its acid flesh. Steve claims the blob is bigger than it was when they found him. The doctor sends Steve back to the crossing where he found the man to search for anyone with a further explanation of what this might be. Outside, Steve finds the teens he offended on the way here. They won't let him pull away until he competes against them in a street race.
0: We can beat this kiddie car You're going backwards.
2: Steve accepts the challenge and holds him to the backwards part. A cop sees them skid away when the light changes and is quick to pull Steve over. This is Officer Dave and they seem to know each other well enough that the cop threatens to tell Steve and Jane's fathers about what he's seen here tonight. When Steve promises no more horseplay, Dave lets them off with a warning. This encounter with Dave seems to have united the kids, and they ask how it went. Steve recalls the task the doc sent him on, but the others have tickets to a midnight screening of Dementia, a.k.a. Daughter of Horror.
0: You want to come with me? Oh, no, man, no, we're going to the flicks, right? Sure, good luck at this time of night? Yeah, Yeah, it's a midnight spook bit. We got some rumors there'd be some unprotected women in the balcony. Uh, All right, well, listen, why don't you, come on, come on, you know, come with us. And then you can go to the movies afterwards, only take
2: a half hour. Eventually, they agree to join him when they learn it will be a quick trip. The doctor checks the patient's arm again, and the whole thing is a gelatinous, throbbing shape now. The teens find the crater and the still toasty meteorite casing. They hear a howl in the dark, and Jane thinks they must be close to people.
0: i bet there is a house close by. It doesn't sound like a house, it sounds like a dog. Come on, Steve, let's go look. Yeah, sure.
2: They all juggle the meteorite fragments as if they're still too hot to touch. They wander to the nearest house and find the man's dog barking wildly. Jane insists they release the dog so they can take care of it in the man's absence. But isn't this shack doing that for you? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't it taking pretty good care of the dog right now?
3: I think they don't know how long the guy is going to be incapacitated and they're trying to think ahead.
2: I think you think ahead by coming back tomorrow to check on this dog if you care that much. The rest of the team get bored by the search and invite Steve and Jane to join them for the midnight movie. Back at the doctor's office, nurse Kate arrives to assist the doctor in an after-hours shift. He asks her to take the patient's vitals, but to avoid making contact with the substance on his arm, which seems acidic. When she gets to the bed, though, the man is gone, and a small blob wriggles on the ground. The doctor is quick to determine that it has swallowed the patient whole. The doctor coaches Kate to a bottle of trichloroacetic acid. This particular acid might actually be kept in a doctor's office because it's used in the treatment of genital warts. Maybe that's the same acid from the howling that they have on the filing cabinet. He tells her to hurl it at the blob, but you just said the blob is acidic, so I feel like acid's not gonna do anything. Yeah, base. And it doesn't do anything. Yeah, maybe base would've worked, they never tried it. All the acid does is discolor the blob for a second and piss it off. The doctor leaves for a gun and urges the nurse not to move, which is unfortunately terrible advice. Also, a gun? Yeah, the a gun doesn't make much sense, but it does kind of look like it's a big muscle. Like it could yeah. just be like a tongue or something moving I mean, around.
1: I would have I would have gone for like a like a f- can of gasoline or something to burn it. Like Maybe. I mean, more more than just shooting it.
2: But I definitely wouldn't say the only advantage we have is that we're much faster than it. Hold perfectly still. <laughs> she is tackled to the floor and takes out the lights on her way down. When the doctor gets to the doorway with his gun. The blob oozes toward him, and whenever the doctor hits it with a shotgun blast, it lights up for a second, but continues forward. I really like that effect, though, of it like glowing brighter red every time it gets hit. Steve returns to Dr. Hallen's office, presumably to report the crater and the meteorite they found, but the door is locked, and the lights are off. Steve walks around the building to check for the doctor's car, and notices through a window that the still-growing blob is eating the doctor alive.
1: This was probably the most horrific thing in the movie
2: yeah because he's struggling against it and he's yeah. all wrapped up in it
1: yeah that, that that actually was like oh that's that's genuinely freaky because because so much of this film happens off screen well, yeah, or literally not every
3: all. literally every other consumption aside from the guy's hand and this moment is yeah off screen
1: yeah uh so it was like okay this is this is good
2: yeah like, I, I would like more of this in here well then you would have liked the original cut <laughs> where this whole scene played out much further in depth they show the full attack of the doctor getting eaten oh. and they eventually decided to take it out because it was deemed unnecessarily violent steve is shaking from the side of it and can barely explain to jane what he saw
0: I just like to think in the old man's hand only when it was bigger and then it, then it was on his old head and then in, in, in just a second he disappeared he disappeared he was all gone He was all gone you know he just disappeared what are you talking about
2: steve's next move is to head to the police station they want more information from him before checking on the dock and steve describes the blob as a mass that kept growing i feel like in this situation i would have said a chemical spill or something and let them see it for themselves yeah but to make matters worse when another cop jim pulling steve's chain asks if it was a monster steve agrees yeah yeah i think it was a monster it's like (laughs) okay steve (laughs) <laughs> you're not you're not winning anyone over here. Jim thinks it's all BS, but Dave says they have to follow up on it anyway because he said somebody died, and we're police, so we have to go check on it.
3: I mean, that's a good policy. Yeah. So,
2: I mean, we get in a lot more trouble for not checking on a death than we would for following up on a false report. A calendar on the wall behind Richie, the needlessly chess playing cop suggests that this is july of 1957 that's probably just the shoot day (laughs) it's it's not even when the film's supposed to take place they were just like oh what month is it (laughs) i gotta set this calendar richie hops on a police radio and begins playing a game of chess against someone at another station q to k2
0: do i read you right q to k2
2: roger Steve brings the cops back to Dr. Hallin's place and they march right into the building despite Steve's warnings that the blob might still be here. They find Hallin's office locked from the outside. After the cops break a window to get into the office, they find a complete mess within. Naturally, they assume this is all Steve's doing, a part of the blob prank. But it's like, the window was closed Mm -hmm. and the door was locked. How could I have done that and then gotten out of the room?
1: Right, which is what one of the officers... Yeah, you know, the lieutenant was like, you hey, know, hold on. This doesn't totally add up.
0: All right, kid, cut the act. What really happened here? I don't know. All of a sudden, your mind is a blank. Is that it? No.
2: Officer Jim still thinks it's all a prank, and Jane is getting tired of his bullshit.
0: They rigged it with a piece of string. It's part of that plan to make us look silly. I think you're doing that pretty well by yourself, Sergeant.
1: Well, and they even confirmed the, that the gun had been fired recently. You
2: know, Right, he smells smell. it. Mm-hmm. By pointing the shotgun at his own face. <laughs> <laughs> An older woman in curlers named Mrs. Porter wanders into the office and claims the doctor's away for a convention all weekend. She kneels to the floor to clean up the mess, and the police ask her to stop so they can record the damages as evidence, and she ignores them.
1: Yeah, th- this woman's testimony is horribly damaging. Yeah. She's just like, no, he, he called me just before he left. He left. And he's like, well, is his car here? Sometimes he gets a ride with somebody else. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, shut up, lady.
2: <laughs> I've heard uh, in, in the several reviews that I've listened to in the last couple weeks, like, a lot of people assumed that this character was the blob incarnate like somehow the blob showed up to like cover its own tracks in the form of a human
1: it's like the thing
2: it's yeah, like, it's just like a exactly for form.
3: Put, put on an edgar suit and just kept yeah. uh, kept going
2: oh well, it's just funny because in
1: the 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 darabont blob it does kind of uh fill
2: out a suit a human body
1: for, yeah a little for bit. A moment
0: well i don't want the doctor to come back tomorrow and find a place like this
2: Officer Jim still isn't buying Steve's story and we cut across town to a garage where a couple mechanics are working on a car. We notice the blob rolling along under the vehicle beside one of the men working just before his co-worker leaves for the night. Of course, the man under the car is attacked and dispatched quickly by the still-growing blob. Back at the police station, Jane and Steve's father are both dragged in. Officer Dave tells Steve's dad everything he knows and Steve confirms that the doctor was killed by a monster again amazingly steve's dad believes him he's like okay my son said it was a monster so you guys figure it out that must be what happened the children are sent home with their fathers but on the way out steve tells jane that they will meet up later to continue their investigation
3: they, they also ask jane if she saw it and yeah. her answer is well no not really but the answer is yeah technically you did see this thing
1: yeah
3: and so you, you saw the thing attacking the guy's hand. Yeah, I get that you didn't see it on the doctor, but that doesn't mean that you didn't see a goopy blob that was causing immense harm to someone.
2: Yeah,
1: and and I guess because you know, they I guess they didn't know that Nurse Kate had been called. It's like you know, there's there's some things you could do to follow up on this. Right.
2: Well, they try to because they know that the doctor's headed to a convention and they know who he was supposed to carpool with, so they mm-hmm. try to reach out to that doctor nobody's reachable now because it's the middle of the night
3: then ner- was the nurse there at all when the kids were there no
2: no oh, okay but her, but the blob didn't consume her
1: some of her clothes because they were on the floor when the doctor comes in to, to check on her like i her, didn't notice her, that her nurse's like the hat uh it's still on the ground. was on the ground still hmm. the blob is also very inconsistent with like what it can and cannot consume yeah It clearly consumes their clothes.
2: Yeah, people and their clothes, but for some reason, nothing else in the room. It leaves no trail behind at all. Officer Richie says Dave is going too easy on the kids, but that Bertie would be much harder on them. Bertie is a nickname for Officer Jim because his full name is Officer Jim Burt or Sergeant Jim Burt.
0: I don't care what Bertie's ideas are, he acts like he was still fighting the war. Just because some kid smacks into his wife on the turnpike doesn't make it a crime to be 17 years old.
2: So, this guy's wife was presumably killed in a car accident on the turnpike, and that's why he just doesn't believe teenagers?
1: Well, and and that he's, you know, really strict against street racing
2: and, uh, and... I mean, the car stuff makes sense. Yeah. Back at Jane's home, her little brother Danny catches her sneaking out to reconnect with Steve. And this kid feels like he's also ten years older than his character <laughs> because <laughs> he talks like a three-year-old, and he's like ten or something. I don't understand why he's such a baby the way he says everything.
0: Look, if you go to bed, I might, I might bring you a little dog, all of your very own. A dog, honest? Honest, I cross my heart. Oh boy! Now she go on up there. What's his name? Oh, any name you want, Danny. Can I name him William? Oh, that's a fine name, Danny. Now you better run on up to bed. Oh, I don't like William.
2: It's such a Jack thing to do. (laughs) If we told our son he could name a dog anything, he'd pick a name and then five seconds later he'd complain about it like it wasn't his choice. (laughs) Back at Steve's house, he's pretending to sleep when his dad checks on him. Having passed the test, Steve gets dressed and sneaks out the window. Jane surprises him at the bottom of his front steps, and they leave together again. Steve recounts the entire plot of the film to Jane, the person who already experienced it with him. (laughs) Jane admits again that she trusts him implicitly, and now they need to find proof so they can convince everyone else. They silently roll the car out of the garage and down the driveway, where Steve makes Jane confirm she wants to join him on this dangerous mission. We cut to the colonial theater, and the marquee says midnight spook show daughter of horror also bella lugosi bella lugosi is not in daughter of horror so those last words must be shorthand for the second feature inside the theater we hear a narrator voice in the film the film was originally released as dementia and then it was acquired by this film's producer jack harris and voiceover narration was added for a re-release under the title daughter of horror the voice we hear is none other than johnny carson's sidekick and recent werewolf father ed mcmahon
0: yes i am here the demon who possesses your soul wait a bit i am coming for you i have so much to show
2: you steve rushes up to the teens from earlier to ask for help and everybody leaves the theater together as they walk out we see a poster for the likely second half of the colonial's double feature the vampire and the robot starring bella lugosi this is the u.s title of a british horror comedy called mother riley meets the vampire which stars arthur lucan opposite bella lugosi but for whatever reason the art on this poster is the famous illustration from the forbidden planet poster yeah huh. that's what they put above the title so i don't know if that's just how the international poster worked for this movie because they were lazy and they had that art or if it was fabricated for the film but i don't think it was he tells the other teens there was a blob in the meteorite and he saw it kill dr Hallen. Their plan is to find the blob and prove to everyone that it exists. Back at the police station, we see the cops calling it a night and heading home to wait for morning, even though a blob is roaming the town and killing people.
1: Well, and one of the officers even says, I went down to the bar and it was all empty. It yeah. It was opened up Where and empty. Where is everyone?
2: That's so weird. The teens literally go door to door through town to warn people of the blobby menace. When they knock on a door of a crowded house party, they are only made fun of by some college kids. Even though it was hardly mentioned when the dog got away, we see Steve and Jane find it again outside Steve's father's grocery store. Really, this is just a chance to inform us that Steve's dad runs the grocery store.
0: Where is he? Over there, in the doorway of your dad's store.
2: When he kneels to collect the dog, he notices the doors never got locked, and the man who works nights, Mr. Wintermeyer, isn't in here cleaning up. Jane notices the blob in the store and collapses across a pyramid of canned soup. Steve scoops her up and makes a run for the back room without the dog again. When Steve can't force open a chained pair of doors, he pulls out a butcher knife and chops uselessly at the iron links of the chain before giving up and taking Jane to hide with him in the walk-in freezer. We see the blob start to slip under the door and pause suddenly. Do you guys recall the last time we saw people trapped in a walk-in freezer?
3: Somewhere over the rainbow? Very somewhere cool. Under the Rainbow. You about, said the title. Something about a rainbow.
2: You added somewhere <laughs> to it. It's just called Under the Rainbow. <laughs> Steve notices the blob retracting back under the door and suddenly the barking outside is silenced. It sounds like little William slash not William has been blobbed. They rush back outside and meet the other teens, who assure Jane that the dog actually escaped unblobbed it's
0: in there. He got the little, the little dog. Oh, you mean the old man's dog? Well, we just seen him running down the street. The oh.
2: That's the last mention of the dog. Yeah. I <laughs> am so
3: frustrated by that. I'm like, either the dog has to get eaten.
2: Or, or the th- kid gets or the, the dog. Kid gets,
3: yeah, you can't just not bring the dog back.
2: Yeah. I want the old man's ghost to be like, so what happened to my dog? And she'd be like, we let it out of your house. <laughs> <laughs> it ran off.
3: Almost got eaten Don't a couple worry. of times. We it might be good.
2: Don't worry. It's <laughs> probably flat in a street somewhere. But it didn't get blobbed. I saw to that. Steve puts Arthur in charge of calling the police because he's supposed to be at home in bed. Arthur is one of the other teens. They ask for Dave, but Jim answers the phone, and he doesn't take the call seriously again. Alarms start to blare outside, and we cut to the bedroom of an old man waking up and recognizing the sound as an air raid siren. He throws on his civil defense uniform, which he apparently keeps handy, and suddenly the air raid siren is drowned out by the sound of a passing fire truck. so he switches to his volunteer firefighter's outfit. (laughs) And then he can't figure out what's going on. He's like, I got too many helmets to choose from. (laughs) Jane's parents wake to the alarm bells and find both their children gone. Jane hasn't returned, and Danny is now asleep on the couch downstairs keeping watch. Steve addresses a large crowd outside his father's store. Turns out, he and the teens activated all these alarms to draw attention and warn the town. The police arrive on the scene, and in keeping with the characters we've established, Jim thinks it's all a prank, Dave believes the warning, and luckily outranks Jim. Back at the Colonial Theater, we see a vent in the projection booth just as the blob comes oozing through the grate. The projectionist is quickly overtaken by the blob, and the audience outside is enjoying the film's climax when the picture suddenly cuts out. Looking back to the projector, we see the blob extruding through the windows into the theater space
3: i think this is my favorite shot of the it's awesome because it's i mean it's i'm just a sucker for miniatures which yeah. is obviously a miniature but i just like the goo squishing through the the grates here
2: it's very cool back at the grocery store the lights suddenly come on and we see officer jim walk out the front door having entered through the back to verify that there is no blob inside
0: there's nobody in here but us monsters.
2: Right on cue, a huge crowd comes rushing out of the Colonial screaming, and they realize the blob has moved to the theater.
3: There is an insane number of people yeah. pouring out yeah. of this theater. Like, way more than like ever 300 people. could have fit in this yeah.
1: theater. Well, and, and for such, like, like, this small town and a midnight showing. Yeah.
2: You, <laughs> like, There's a bunch of five-year-old kids coming yeah. out, too. This screaming exit is a celebrated tradition of the annual Blobfest. They'll show a screening in the theater and everyone comes out screaming. <laughs> and this year, listener Carlos Moda plans to be in attendance. So he'll have to send some pictures from the Colonial for us. Oh,
3: well, let us know if you get to stir the blob.
2: Yeah. Many in the crowd rush across the street to the Downingtown Diner, and suddenly little Danny rushes out from beside the diner in his pajamas with a little toy gun and unloads a full clip of thoughts and prayers into the beast. But they do nothing.
1: <laughs> I- <laughs> I love how determined he is. It's like, blam, come on, come on. And then when it doesn't work, he throws Throws the the gun. gun. (laughs) Such (laughs) a cheap Wiggum
2: move. (laughs) Just huck the gun. After he throws it, Jane and Steve chase Danny into the diner, which is quickly encased in the blob. Steve, Jane, Danny, and the diner's owners retreat to the basement to evade it. Outside, Jim is ordered to shoot down a power line to electrocute the blob, but this, too, has no effect. Well... No good effect. Yeah. The diner, now wrapped in a blob, is also on fire. (laughs) Here's the fire chief's reaction. The
0: diner's on fire.
2: Well, can we put it out? Any suggestions how? Is is this your first fire? (laughs) Just put it out. The blob starts to make its way into the basement, and the hostages surrender to a slow and painful death from smoke inhalation. Even outside, everyone just stands around watching and silently sobbing instead of calling the National Guard. Or spraying a hose at the fire!
3: Or getting the hell out of there!
2: That could work too. (laughs) When the diner owner tries to keep the blob at bay with a CO2 extinguisher, Steve notices the recoiling of the blob from the cold and puts two and two together.
0: CO2! Hey, that's it. It's cold! That's why it didn't come in the icebox after. So it said,
2: can't stand cold. It doesn't like these cans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Quick, spray more CO2 in this confined space. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's going to help all the plants in here. Steve scares it back up the stairs and then makes calls to the police department outside to report their discovery. But how is he making this call? He's like shouting up the stairs, and they're yeah. hearing it well, through a phone. He, they, he was, they
3: have
1: a phone. Yeah. He
2: ca-
3: he called them before
2: and left it off the hook. He
3: went downstairs and he left it off the hook, and so he is shouting to the phone that was still connected to the police car.
2: I can't imagine a phone that works so well that you can be shouting at the bottom of it's the, the stairs.
3: 50s, everything was built better.
2: Okay, that makes sense actually. The police send teams to the firehouse and the local school to collect CO two extinguishers. The principal leads a bunch of teens to the school and they're all excited because the principal's willing to bust open the window of yeah. a rock to go in. I think that's Jane's father. Yeah. The principal.
1: I, I, I really like this whole thing when, when, when he when the principal says it's like, I know where we can find a bunch of those. It's like I just need some wh- someone to help me and the teens are all like, We'll help We're you, in. principal.
2: Yeah. It's all these like former rivals teaming up to yeah. like, get things like, this done. This is good stuff. We see Dave on the phone with some higher governmental agency looking for solutions. He advises against bombing it and instead suggests airlifting it to where it can stay frozen in some arctic tundra. Jane and Steve emerge from the diner basement to escape the now frozen blob. Dave lets him know that a Globemaster is being dispatched to take the blob to the arctic.
0: It's not dead is it? No. It's not. Just frozen. I don't think it can be killed. But at least we've got it stopped. Yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold.
2: We see the blob dropped with parachutes to a snowy landscape, and the words THE END morph into a question mark. I like that they thought to put parachutes on it. (laughs) Just fucking drop this piece of shit. Who cares?
3: The assumption that it can't be killed seems a little... Abrupt yeah. to make because you have tried, yeah. literally one thing. You, We've you tried, tried to ele- nothing,
2: <laughs> and we're all out of ideas.
3: <laughs> you tried to electrocute it, yeah. And I guess technically it's on fire, so that's a second thing that doesn't yeah. kill it. But I feel like there's more options here. Yeah, <laughs> they, they try.
1: They unknowingly tried acid. Like they didn't witness the
2: acid. Attempt. Yeah, I would. There's a few things you could do. I would try a base because it seems to be acidic itself. If a base doesn't work. I would freeze it like they have, put it in a rocket, and shoot it into the sun, because NASA's probably dying to shoot a rocket into the sun. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> or I guess at this point, would it still be... Would it be NASA at this point? Or would it still be the Air Force?
2: Oh. Yeah, I don't know. This is 58. When did NASA start officially?
3: I'm gonna say 62, and then you cut that out when that's not right. I have no idea when NASA started.
2: Well, I I think this is post- uh sputnik so
1: nasa uh formally opened for business october 1st 1958
2: so the movie was shot before nasa
1: yep i one year it it it, it yeah. was released the same year
2: as nasa interesting nasa was released beware the blob came out in 1972 it's directed by larry hagman from dallas and was comically advertised as the movie that jr shot
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay
2: It turns out Hagman's actually a terrible director, and almost every shot is an unbearable close-up of the speaking character's face. It's just like, this is not... You weren't paying attention on set this whole time. A man named Chester foolishly brings home a sample of the blob from the Arctic, and it quickly kills a fly, then a cat, then the man's wife, and finally the man himself is killed while watching the first blob on television. Hagman shows up in the film as a hapless hobo victim of the creature. The Blob creeps across town and ends up attacking an annual event at a combination bowling alley and ice skating rink. And it takes them surprisingly long to consider turning on the ice rink to freeze the Blob. Please tell me they bowl on ice skates. No. It's it's not one room. It's two buildings that are attached.
3: It's a direct sequel, right? Correct, yeah. So they should know the things that happened in the previous film.
2: Except that for some reason, the movie The Blob exists in the sequel, which is a direct sequel to The Blob. So the implication is that the movie is a documentary in the sequel? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It also features Dick Van Patten, Garrett Graham, Del Close, and Sid Haig. And then you have the 1988 remake. Yes. Which I said before was directed by Chuck Russell and written by Russell and Frank Darabont, who is just a wonderful screenwriter. Um, So it's actually really well done. um, And it keeps some of the major structure of this version of the film. Obviously, you still have a theater being attacked. Mm -hmm. You still have um, like the cool guy and the girl that are on the run the whole time. But they kind of split the Steve McQueen character into two parts. There's like the motorcycle cool dude who's like the antisocial guy and then they have the preppy jock type character. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's the boyfriend at the start with the girl and you think he's going to be the main character the way they set it yeah. up. And then he gets killed very quickly. Yeah, yeah.
1: no one is safe in that film. Like, yeah. like all they spend so much time developing characters that none of them make.
2: And honestly, in all three blob movies, the, the preppy boyfriend gets the best death in all of the different versions of the blob because he's the one whose entire body you see it just completely dissolving in the acid of this blob and she's like pulling on his arm trying to get him out of it and then eventually the whole arm just slumps out and she's just holding onto this bleeding arm it's phenomenal it just looks really good and the and the hand still twitching when it hits yeah. the ground yeah
1: oh yeah everything everything about that movie is so well done yeah um uh, if you, but uh the big twist in that that it was a government
2: yeah, it I mean, it was an yes, experiment that yeah, got out of hand.
1: Yeah, spoilers. Uh, sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, no, I mean you, that's but, what we say we're gonna yeah, do. Yeah. So th- this this it's never it's determined. It's just some creature. You yeah, know, it just and, came and, from a meteorite. Uh, but in the eighty eight, it's yeah, it's a government experiment that, that that's the big the big the big twist.
2: Yeah, they've basically been planning to drop it on Russia or China or wherever, and they accidentally dropped it in America, and they're so happy with the damage it can do. But at the very beginning of the film, we have this whole sequence where Kevin Dillon as uh, what becomes the lead character of the film uh, is trying to jump a ravine Mm -hmm. on a motorcycle. And I definitely get the impression that the point of this scene is to say, we know that Steve McQueen was in the original and we're not trying to outdo the original. So right away, we're going to tell you, this is not Steve McQueen. We're not trying to say this guy's a replacement for Steve McQueen because he tries to make this jump and he crashes his bike right away. So, the point is, and it's the same motorcycle that he ends up, that Steve McQueen rides in a lot of different films. Mm.
3: Okay, I get that you want to distinguish yourself and try not to be like, we're trying to be better than that. But Steve McQueen was nothing to write home about here. No, I agree. But (laughs) I
2: think they were worried about his reputation being like, uh, oh, this guy's nothing compared to Steve McQueen. Like, why would you even remake the blob and then cast this yeah, cast but, kevin dylan but in it wasn't league.
3: like steve mcqueen in the blob is like no he's not the he's, ultimate yeah. steve mcqueen <laughs> no it's, it's definitely not his best
2: work no it, but it's the difference between like when we talked about blues brothers 2000 literally did one extra car crash to try and mm-hmm. outdo the record and it's like no the way you should have done it is do one less car crash and the point should be yeah. we're not trying to outdo the original yeah
3: uh
1: a lot of the performances and a lot of the scenes in this always feel like in the 58 blob felt like the first take
2: yeah like it's like you know that's it we're, we're moving on yeah everything danny does feels like someone literally just gave him a line read and then he just repeated it one word at a time
3: well i also feel like steve mcqueen like had to overdub some of his own lines it looks like his lines don't even match his mouth sometimes
1: yeah the, the whole conversation he has when he's pulled over it's like oh i was just uh you know Testing. <laughs> like, like, that's literally what did, what like a say? line that he says. <laughs> I was like, "What? <laughs> uh, excuse me, <laughs> you just you didn't answer my question. You just started to trail up <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> but the, speaking of not answering this question, though, I really like when he goes into the police station. He's like, "Hey, something killed the doc," and they're like, "Oh, that's that's terrible. Why don't you tell us what happened?" He's like, "I'm trying to tell you, something killed the doc," and it's like, "Okay, try fucking harder." <laughs> <laughs> you're not saying anything <laughs> but yeah i i really love the effects in this even though like you know it it should be cornier for the for the 50s but i actually feel like the blob works really well here oh yeah um and the way they got most of its motion was just by obviously there are these miniature sets that they would affix like this little blobby chemical to and they would flip the sets upside down and like tilt it so that the blob would roll with gravity as it stuck to the platform yeah and the camera is affixed it's tied to, to the, the set. set too so it so doesn't... it just looks like the the blob is moving and not the room around yeah. it but um but it works really well uh, and I like I said I like the effect of it glowing when it gets hit with shotgun blasts and different things that they did um obviously the the theater attack is amazing and even mm. when it comes through the double doors and it's extruding back out onto the street I love that it's all really fun well,
3: th- this wasn't the first time you've seen it right
2: the 58 blob
3: yeah
2: it might be yeah I, you know what I think it is the first time I've seen the 58 one I've I definitely seen the the 88 one a bunch because I, I saw it when it first came out and I think we used to watch it all the time but I, I don't know if I'd seen the original
1: yeah this was this was my first time oh, really? seeing it Um, oh. I mean I knew like from osmosis like the movie theater scene like, sure. that, that's like clips that they show all the time. And, yeah. Uh but uh yeah, I grew up with the 88 blob, so that was like always in my mind.
3: Yeah. I I I remember seeing the the 88 one as a kid, but this is the one that I was more familiar with.
1: So.
2: Yeah. Well, what's interesting too is that and this is a I think a first-time cinematographer and it's really beautifully shot. Like everything is really beautifully shot. And I don't know if that's just a situation where, because it was such a moneymaker and such an instant classic that the, the print has been taken care of, but we watched a very nice Blu-ray scan of it. And every shot is just really well balanced with the lighting. Um, it, it never feels cheap um even the effects shots which are sometimes darker than other shots in in these kinds of movies mm. i feel like it's it's all really well lit and and consistent throughout and and it has such a classic sci-fi feel to it like the the just the framing of everything when you see the blob moving through a room it just it just feels like classic moments from 50s sci-fi
1: yeah yeah and and it even felt like it was on its way into the 60s like yeah like the especially like when when they're trying to convince the teenagers outside of the theater like you guys you know like something killed the doc and they're just like oh something killed the doc they're all like doing like these little yeah making jokes about it yeah. yeah i was like oh this feels this feels a little bit like later like this is like that generation that'll go into the 60s yeah for sure uh but uh, I, and I think th- I like that they just in the credits I think there's like as the teenagers right like, yeah just the credits
2: for the characters <laughs> like they're a band called mm-hmm. the teenagers. Um, but yeah, big thumbs up I would say. For oh yeah,
1: one. thumbs up. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Like it, it's
1: you know it's it's dated, but it's still very entertaining to watch. Yeah,
2: and it does get a little slow in places. Um, where I don't feel that way at all about the eighty eight one. I feel like the pacing is much better. Yeah. in the remake, but. Uh, for for a movie of this time, I think it's it's really, really well done. Yeah. Our director here was Irvin S. Yaworth Jr. This was the start of a trilogy of sci-fi titles for Yaworth followed up by 4D Man the following year and Dinosaurus the year after that. Then he went back to producing faith-based projects for the remainder of his career. The other director uncredited was Russell S. Doughton Jr. I don't know uh how he directed on this or or uh, in what way he contributed to the direction but he's listed as an uncredited director and outside of this film his best known credits are for his work producing the faith-based thief in the night quadrology the third installment of which image of the beast we've already covered this season of the podcast he even plays the most interesting character in all four chapters of the series reverend matthew turner who teaches us about all the horrors we can expect to encounter in the tribulation period
3: is that the guy in the barn
2: it's it's got a tapestry he tells us what a locust is
0: what a frightful creature this locust will be a body of a horse human face crown on the head long hair and lion's teeth and wings that sound like thundering horses rushing into battle and worse they have long tails and stings like scorpions the sting is terrible It doesn't kill you, it just leaves you in a state of torment for five months. Only those sealed by God will be exempt. It's an intense, horrible torment. Death will be preferable, but not possible.
3: And the seven bowls.
2: He tells us about the seven (laughs) bowls of the apocalypse. The writer here was Theodore Simonson. Uh, He's back to write 4D Man the following year and gets a credit in the 88 Blob reboot. He also shows up in the film as Red Sweater Moviegoer. Another writer, Kay Lineker, also screenplay credit. She's an actress with credits back to the 30s, including a handful of Charlie Chan outings and Young Mr. Lincoln, and she also gets a credit on the 88 Blob. The third writer is Irvine H. Milgate, who is credited for the original idea. He has story credits on both Blob versions. The music here was from Ralph Carmichael. This is the score throughout the film, not the theme song. And he's back for 4D Man, and nothing else I recognize. But he also did an original blob theme for the start that was more of an ominous thing. Mm. And the producer was like, hey, "We're gonna scratch that. We're gonna put something funny at the start because yeah, we yeah, want yeah. this to be like an event.
1: We're gonna be this is gonna be like start off like Gidget goes Hawaiian. Day, yeah, exactly. But we're <laughs> it's gonna be a horror film."
2: <laughs> the cinematographer Thomas E. Spaulding, This was his first DP credit, and we'll see more of his work in our season three review of Island of Blood. Probably even later this year, considering how early it's scheduled. I think that's one of the first 1982 titles. The editor here is Alfred Hillman. This is his only editing credit. Steve McQueen played Steve Andrews. He was in Tom Horn and The Hunter last season. He's in The Great Escape, Papillon, Bullet, The Getaway, The Magnificent Seven, among many others. Supposedly he didn't like this movie and refused to talk about it. Really? Yeah. Anita Corsant played Jane Martin. She's also Joanne Ballard in The Toolbox Murders, but outside of this, she's probably best known for her 66 appearances on The Andy Griffith Show as Helen Crump and eventually Helen Crump Taylor after finally marrying the titular Andy. Olin Howland played Old Man. He also shows up as a carpetbagger businessman in Gone With the Wind and as Jensen in Them, but he has like 200 acting credits. He's an old-timer-like character actor, Mm -hmm. and he also gets referred to as old-timer a bunch in this. George Karras played Officer Ritchie. That's the guy playing chess. He's Sergeant Toteman in 4D Man. Albert Smith played Henry Martin. He's Captain Rogers in 4D Man. Vincent Barbie played George. He shows up in a couple John Cassavetti's titles like A Woman Under the Influence and The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Jasper Dieter played Civil Defense Volunteer. He's Mr. Wells in 4D Man. That's hey. you. He plays you. Robert Fields plays Tony Grasset or Gresset. He's Raymond Chandler in The Stepford Wives and Joel in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Been a while since I've seen The Stepford Wives. (laughs) Is that the author, Raymond Chandler, that he's playing? (laughs) Or is there just a character who happens to be named Raymond Chandler? That's weird. He also plays a director in Star 80 the film about the death of Galaxina actress Dorothy Stratton. James Bonnet played Mooch Miller, one of the teens. He has a few one-off TV screenwriting credits. Jack H. Harris played Man Writing Out of Theater. He also has uncredited parts in the other two Yeaworth sci-fis, 4D Man and Dinosaurus, and later as unnamed characters in Beware the Blob and John Landis' debut film, Schlock, all of which he also produced. This film's production company, Tony Lynn is also a combination of the names of Jack Harris's children, Anthony and Linda. I think that's everything for The Blob. Thanks again to Carlos Moda for their generous contribution to the show. If there's any title you'd like us to review, our top Patreon tier includes a custom review of any pre-1980 title. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing whatever you choose. We leave you now with the trailer for The Blob.
0: Dave! Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen? What happened? It's over at his place. You gotta come now. wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed the Doc. What was it? Stop with it, kid. Well, it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Teenagers see it first, like a falling star from outer space. Boy, that was closed. Hey, come on. I want to see if I can find it. An old man finds it, touches it, and this is the shocking result. From then on, there's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. It's indestructible, it's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city, before long the nation and then the world could fall before the blood curdling threat of the mob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people.